Welcome to episode 31 of the Local Meta. My name is Fletcher. And I'm John. So John, you excited for the pre-release? I am, actually. People kept asking me today if I was going to do the midnight one. And I, you know, I had a very long-winded explanation why that answer was no. But it basically came down to, I can either do the midnight one tonight, or I can do both of them tomorrow. Because there's no yeah. way my body can handle all three. So When you get to be an old man, it's tough, right? Well, when you wake up at, you know, quarter to five in the morning for work, it gets tough. <laughs> yeah. That'd only be like a 24-hour day for you. Uh, if the if the pre-release ended at the time it normally ends at, I would wind up being awake for over 26 hours. <laughs> value not something i really feel inclined to do so yeah <laughs> yeah i'm i'm pretty stoked for this and I've, I've actually missed a few of them so getting to getting to go play is is an exciting thing for me now that now that the baby is a little bit older now he's it's easier to abandon to, him to leave him <laughs> <laughs> like you know <laughs> leaving a three-month-old is just I don't know. I mean, not not as easy as leaving a, you know, fifteen three bottles. Yeah, pretty much. I'm excited for our inevitable encounter in the finals. God, I hope so. We almost always face each other the last round, which is just kind of, it's entertaining. Unless I just do terribly and. Yeah, unless he, this is what out. will happen. One of us two will bomb. Or we'll both meet each other in like playing for the four row or whatever. Because mm -hmm. that's Actually, what happened. The last time we did solo, we we did the normal one. I think we we did play in the finals, didn't we? Yeah, we were the solo oh, dudes. It was Kaladesh, and you beat me with that goddamn whale. That whale. To be fair, your deck was way better than mine. My deck was way better than yours. You had like all the goddamn bombs. I think this is Aether Revolt, not not Kaladesh. Was it Aether Revolt? It I may think have been so, Aether Revolt. Because I remember I was super annoyed that you got um, the Black Gear Hulk out of your Kaladesh pack. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you had, like, what, Black Gear Hulk and White Gear Hulk? I had Black Gear Hulk and White Gear Hulk. And just a bunch of, like, all the removal in the world. Your deck was insane. My deck was great, yeah. And, and I had a whale. Uh -huh. it, the funny thing is, it wasn't as good as my Oath of the Gatewatch deck. Yeah, but. You can't, you can't always have everything. I mean, to be fair, I only played six of my rares and <laughs> sideboarded the seventh. Yeah, only. <laughs> only uh, six on-color rares. My, um, yeah, and one of them was a Planeswalker. Yeah. But, yeah, I had my second round opponent was super pissed. <laughs> I mean, but, I you know, would have been. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. I mean, if you're me, you're never lucky, and you have to win entirely based off your own personal play skill. We'll go with that. <laughs> so, we're gonna we're gonna pick up our series that we were, uh, had started a few episodes ago, and then took a break to talk about some other fun things like sets and announcements. Um, so we're gonna do our meta deck breakdown, and we're gonna start getting into modern mid range and control. And this is gonna get broken up a little bit. Um, in case you guys are unaware, there's a lot of mid-range slash control decks. This isn't even covering, like, the the outliers, so. Yeah, especially how we, I mean, we kind of define stuff differently sometimes, too, but. 
Yeah. I think these are pretty solid. More more mid rangey decks and everything. So, um, do you want to just jump right onto it? Into it? Yeah, I suppose just for okay. just people know what to expect out of this one. Um, the current the plan for this episode is going to be to cover like the commonly seen ones. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll probably do another episode for the slightly less common ones and. I mean, maybe if people want, we could even do an episode entirely dedicated to, like, wonky decks that you almost never see. Modern fringe. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, the thing is, there's just, there's so many fringe decks, I just don't even know what we would do with all of them, but, yeah. I mean, maybe we'll hit that, but, okay. Why don't we hop into this? So what's the first deck you got for us, John? Right. So, we'll, we're going to start with the the literal definition of mid-range. And, like... The whole thing about mid-range is, like, whenever you see someone playing, like, a mid-range deck in standard, they always kind of refer to it as, like, this is the standard jund, right? Even Mm -hmm. if it's not actually green, black, red, Mm -hmm. it plays very, very similar to that in the sense that it plays, you know, all the best possible cards, and that's what the, our first category is, is the referred to as the green-black X decks. So this is just green-black and whatever else. So. Yeah, you like you will occasionally see just straight green-black. Sometimes you see Jun, sometimes you see Obzon, sometimes you even see decks like Sultai. Um, but almost always they have the basic core of green and black, which gives them the... The entire point of this deck is to play the best possible cards you possibly can like so this is also just sometimes referred to as like green black good stuff right yeah like the deck is absolutely a good stuff deck like as to where like a lot of decks in any form of magic like when you look at the deck you're gonna look at it and be like all right you know this deck has some eights this deck has some twos right mm-hmm. or, or like you take a deck like you know Legacy or like Mandalas Dredge, and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is all like ones. Yeah, but it's a great deck. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. So you have stuff like that. Like as to where like when you look at a Jun deck, if you see anything outside of a land and even some of their lands, almost every single card is a seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like a this card alone will win you the game, but it's a this card alone is probably better than the average card in your opponent's deck, and that's how the green black decks win like that's that is what their goal is that's just what they do is they just they're just like let's pick the most efficient cards in these colors and go to town yeah like that's exactly what they want to be doing which it leads to a really interesting thing where like there's no key card in the green black decks like there's no one card that their entire plan hinges on because every one of their cards is you know really good at what it's supposed to be doing and the decks are known for top decking insanely well so like the compared to like the other two categories of decks we've talked to like there's just no synergy here on most they just they're just efficient and all the cards do exactly what needs to happen well (laughs) there is one point of synergy in the green black decks and that's the fact that they synergize really really well with liliana of the veil because they don't care if their hand's empty, because the odds of them drawing a great card off the top is noticeably higher than any other deck in the format. I mean, when every card you draw is a 7, right? Yeah, when every single card you you draw is a 7 or an 8, you don't care if you're empty-handed. 
So that's the one point of synergy is like they are the best Liliana the Veil deck in the format. Okay. So I mean we kind of touched about it, but just like how how do these decks work overall? So basically like their goal is to play the most efficient and universal interaction they possibly can. So they're going to play Inquisition of Coastlight. They're going to play Thoughtseize. Their removal is going to be stuff like Terminate and Abrupt Decay and like Fatal Push and Path to Exile. Their goal is to be like whatever, whatever their removal is, whatever their interaction is. They want to be able to just like deal with it extremely cheaply and almost universally. You know, there's very few cards that Path to Exile can't get rid of. There's very mm-hmm. few cards that Terminate can't get rid of. There's very few things that Thoughtseize can't take out of your opponent's hand. And, like, along those same lines, you know, like, along the lines of efficiency, they're playing creatures like Tarmogoyf and Grimflayer and Tassiger and, like, Siege Rhino, which can see play in the Obzomnists, and, and stuff like Lingering Souls, which is literally a horror for one. Like, <laughs> they're just playing, like, the most ridiculously efficient things they possibly can. And, like, one of the, the few... Um, outliers in that regard is you know most of these decks they tend to they like to play a black 2-1 for 2 which uh, doesn't match it very well against the format until you realize that it lets you draw an extra card every single turn for the low low cost of your life total (laughs) in fact they don't care Dark Confidant is a good magic card Dark Confidant is a it's an okay card (laughs) it does some things I have this weird thing where, like, I've always wanted to play a deck with four Dark Confidants, but I want to play a one Emrakul in it just because I can. <laughs> I just roulette. <laughs> like, uh, YOLO. <laughs> like, there, there has to be, like, can you imagine, like, you're, like, playing, like, for that 4-0 against your opponent, and you're just like, alright, I got this game locked up, and you reveal that Emrakul, and they're just like, What? You're like, right. you like it? You're like, sweet. I guess you win the match. Sign the match slip. Go all day. And they just stare at you, just completely <laughs> like mind boggled. Uh, you've thought about this way too much. Maybe. I like confusing people. Is that really a crime? I mean, it could be, yeah. but. <laughs> so, I mean, you're playing against. You know the seven out of ten deck. How how do you beat this deck? What's your what's your general plan against it? You really like there. The the thing about this deck is it doesn't have any weaknesses really. Like there's the there's the go to like oh yeah they're weak to you know blood moon, <laughs> which yes is a thing that can happen. But, like, they're not, like, innately weak to any particular game plan. They just kind of, like, you know, your play skill matters. You need to know how to, like, try and, like, you need to know how to play around the removal, try and, like, keep track of the stuff they reveal to Dark Confidant. And you just need to be able to, like, you know, effectively chess match your opponent into a position where you can actually beat them. Um, a very common thing to say about the green-black decks is that they're basically they're 55% against the field. Mm-hmm. Just like, on average draws, they have a 55% chance of beating any deck in modern. And that's 
very, very true in regards to play skill. Like, yes, their individual cards are very powerful, but like how you play them really matters with this deck. So honestly, the only really like consistent way of beating decks like this is just be better than the person who's playing it. Just like, to outplay your opponent. Yeah, like and maybe get lucky. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes you'll get lucky and they're not gonna draw the exact card they need and other times you're gonna get paired up against them with a dredge deck that they have a terrible matchup against. They have a single graph diggers cage on their sideboard and they're gonna draw it. Games mm -hmm. they're gonna play it turn one and turn turn one both games two and three, and then you lose a matchup you that's supposed to be an auto win. Mm -hmm. I totally haven't had that happen to me before. <laughs> Like, you don't want to be sitting there and one-for-one-ing with this deck, against this deck, right? Because you're just going to come up behind. Absolutely. Like, they will win the one-for-ones. Like, you need to have, like, cards, like, like in my sideboard for the deck I played tonight, I have Kitchen Finks, I have Obstinate Bailoth, I have Thrag Tusk. Like, I want to try and, like, you know, outvalue them. Like, if your opponent's terminating your Kitchen Finks... It, you still get another creature out of it, right? Like, yeah, it's only a 2-1, but it's still something. Like, if they have to kill your Thrag Tusk, you get an extra 3-3 three, three out of the deal. Like, trying to tax their, their extremely powerful and efficient one-for-ones is the only really, quotations, consistent way of beating them, as it were. But, like, you're still trying to beat them by their own game at that point. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, trying, they're also trying to play ridiculously cost-efficient and value cards. So, cool. Yeah, like learning this, learning this matchup. Like when this deck is good, learning this matchup is one of the most important things you can possibly do. Like it's not always good. Sometimes it has bad matchups. Sometimes, like you know, the flavor of the month might be similar enough that everyone kind of shifts to that. But like these decks will always be good until the end of time, even though they've constantly had carts banned out of them. <laughs> Rip, Bloodbraid Elf, and Deathrite Shaman. Good old DRS. Yeah, that card is unreasonable. Just I mean, one mana Planeswalker? Yep. <laughs> one mana... It brick walls Goblin Lackey, and that alone is a cardinal sin. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so, alright, what do we got next? Alright, so... Since this is the uh, mid-range and control section, let's talk about control. Ooh, there's control decks in modern. There are. And Ooh. even though everyone tells you that they're terrible and you shouldn't play them, that is not completely accurate. The thing about the control decks in modern is they don't really have free wins. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a sin in modern. Like, they're not really cheating on anything. They're not, like, getting free wins in any way. They're just kind of trying to get to a really long late game and eventually win because they play, you know, extremely resilient threats and stuff. So, and the, unifi the unifying thing about almost all control decks in modern is they're entirely blue-based. And any control deck in ever. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you, you guys have probably heard me and Fletcher talk about it, where, like, you know, if you're playing a control deck, the, you basically start with four Snapcaster Mage and build around that. Mm-hmm. Like, because Snapcaster Mage is the single most powerful card in the entire deck. Like, there are different ways of going about how to build this deck, but 
you will still almost always have four Snapcaster Mage. So, so in general, what is this deck trying to do? Um, its goal is basically to like it needs to survive the early game either using um like you know really cheap interaction and counter spells and stuff like that, and they just want to kind of like get to a late game point where they can just resolve some ridiculously expensive win con, even if that win con is only five mana. Like, that's still really expensive by modern standards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they just want to ride that one win con to victory while protecting it. Okay. So. Right. So, key cards would be, as we were talking about, Snapcaster. Yeah, um, Snapcaster is, like, an auto-include. Most of the blue decks will also play Cryptic Command. Just because mm -hmm. Cryptic Command is, like... it's. It was referred to as a finisher for a long time. Like multiple modern seasons ago hmm. where like you know like basically once you started casting cryptic command that's when you start winning because you know like just the the, the fact that you're it's it is card advantage you're two for one of your opponent if you counter and draw and it just has the ability to do almost anything like if you can cryptic command into a snapcaster cryptic command like you're just starting the value train and it's really hard for your opponent to come back from that mm-hmm and then it's also very important for them to have, like the, like I said, the early interaction. You know, like the the one mana removal spells. Like they can play stuff like Path to Exile, and it's like they don't really care if their opponent gets a land, because they're going to be able to take advantage of that excess mana more than their opponents can. They just need to get to the point to be able to. Mm -hmm. You know, like cheap counter spells, like one mana counter spells and stuff like that is super important. And, like, the cantrips with stuff like Serum Visions are super important just to, like, set it up to where they can consistently keep drawing what they need to draw and stuff. Like, Control is another one of those decks where, like, a lot of the cards are important because it's about getting all the right cards at the right time to actually be able to get to the point where you can win and then being able to draw said win con when you need it. Um, What kind of win cons do you see in in these decks it it really does depend on the decks because like there's basically two different styles at this point um there's there's basically the geist of saint Traff version and the not geist of saint Traff version <laughs> like either you try and you know tap out and play a two two for three mana on turn three and you just ride that to victory in a much more fast like a much more quickly than normal um this is much more of a tempo strategy that they have. Like they'll play a lot of like remands and stuff like that. And the other option is the I want to cast an Elspeth Suns champion or beat you to death with my celestial colonnade strategy. Both of which require a lot more mana to actually function. But you're going the more controlling route in that thing, so. Yeah, you're going to have a lot more mana leaks. You're probably going to be playing Cryptic Command as a 4 of. Remand is not as good. Stuff like that. Like, you know, you're not trying to cast anything on turn 3 except for removal and counter spells. Mm -hmm. Things like that. So, I'm personally a bigger fan of the, you know, I want to beat you to death with my Celestial Colonnade strategy. Or in my case, um, Reaping Tarpit. <laughs> but, you no. Know. I feel I feel like if you put four cryptic commands in a deck, you are just planting your flag and saying I am a control deck. Yes. Because like, we've we've ran a number of like 
you know, blue base control decks that don't run the full full four because they're a little faster than that. Like uh, Blue Moon played more of a tempo strategy, yeah. um, even though that doesn't necessarily 100% fit into this category, but it, you know, same vein to some degree. Yeah, that's why Twin only played three cryptic commands, because you weren't a control deck, you were a tempo deck. Here we go. <laughs> no flight planting of control here. There's only three cryptic commands, so thank you very much. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, how do we how do we beat this, then? Uh, the most efficient way to really beat any control deck in modern is basically the same as any control deck in any format, is just you need to get on the board faster than it can respond to you. Like, if you're able to play multiple threats in one turn where you can get under counter spells or just make it so they just don't have enough interaction to be able to, like, kill your guys and stuff, and you can kill them before they can cast stuff like their board wipes, that's the most, like, it's the most efficient and most consistent way of beating any sort of control deck. Otherwise, something that you, another strategy is, like, trying to win through multiple different fronts. You know, like, if you're... If you're using, like, discard to attack their hand, plus you're pressuring them with creatures on the battlefield, and maybe you have, like, you know, another form of win con where, like, you have, like, the the out of some sort of, like, infinite combo that they're not expecting. Or, like, from the case of, like, affinity, being able to pressure them with both regular damage and with infect is actually very, very useful because it mm -hmm. forces them to make a decision about what do they think is going to be the biggest threat in that. So, like, yeah, attacking from, like, multiple fronts and multiple angles is very good. Otherwise, just play hard to interact with cards. Like, it is actually very difficult for a control deck to beat an opposing Geist of Saint Draft. It is almost impossible for them to kill a from the last troll. <laughs> now, like, just, like, cards like that where it's, like, it's super difficult for them to interact with. Or, like, really weird win cons. Like, Ashiok is very difficult for control decks to interact with. And it's winning through, you know, attacking their graveyard. Or, sorry, attacking their like their deck. You're exiling cards from their deck. You're trying to build them out effectively. And, like, doing stuff like that makes it very, very difficult for them to, you know... Like, they can't protect their life total. Because you're not attacking their life total. You're attacking something else. And being able to do that is also just very good against them. I, I feel like control is one of those decks that I'm, uh, if, like, if the aggro side of things is just basically a hammer and it just hits things and that's l literally all it does, like control is, is like the surgical tools. It's the scalpels and everything like that. But if you, if you have the wrong set of tools for what you go into they just do nothing yeah if you bring you know uh what's a good example like if you bring in you know like the drill and like this scope to try and like you know break into a bank vault and you find out that it's guarded by some dude with a shotgun you're not gonna get too far <laughs> you know like you you have to know to play a control deck effectively, you have to know what you're expecting, and you have to tailor your entire 75 to deal with that. And, you know, there's a very real chance that you will get paired up against the outlier deck you weren't expecting, and you will lose to it because you don't have the right interaction. Like, mm -hmm. it is very, very difficult for a control deck to beat um, Boggles. They can, if they want <laughs> yeah. to, 
But it like the thing is, do you really want to dedicate cards in your deck specifically to beat such an outlier strategy that's extremely rare? It's like the same with lantern control. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, like the random outlier decks are really good against the control decks because you know they can't prepare for it. Okay, well, why don't we um, uh, why don't we hit up the next one? All right. Um. So, the next one is like just another little category. Even though there's basically there's one deck that has been decided as being the consensus best in this entire category. I personally don't necessarily agree with it, but I mean it's the one everyone plays, so there's nothing you do about it. And this is also currently considered to be the best deck in all of Modern, which is the Death Shadow deck. Specifically, Grixis Death Shadow is considered the best deck in Modern, but you still have you have Jun Death Shadow still. You have Obzon Death Shadow. Some people even play um, Esper Death Shadow. I'm personally a really big fan of the Obzon versions because they they actually have a very good um, mashup in the mirror of Death Shadow almost entirely off of the back of Lingering Souls. But, you know, it's Death Shadow. They all have they all have the same basic game plan, just go about it in slightly different strategies. So um uh what what do Death Shadow decks do? So Death Shadow is actually the first one on this little list that cheats at something. <laughs> Their goal is to spend one mana and get either a 4-5, a 5-5, or a 10-10. <laughs> for the low, low cost of a single black mana. Yep. And the entire deck is kind of built around that concept. Like, Death Shadow, they need to lower their life total low enough to make the Death Shadow big. As to where the um, Tassiger and Gurmog Angler, they just need to fill their graveyard with stuff as quickly as possible. So... For those who may remember my comment to Fletcher, where I think that almost all Thought Scourers, like the large majority of Thought Scourers, are targeting the player who casts the Thought Scour, this is one of those reasons why. Because suddenly Thought Scour becomes effectively a dark ritual that draws you a card. Yeah, you spend one blue, you put three cards in your graveyard, plus you draw a card, which means that your Tasker suddenly only costs two and a black. Plus, you probably played a fetch land, and you very well may have cycled a street wraith. So suddenly, you have a one mana tasker. And one mana taskers are good. I can. Yeah. I can see <laughs> As you know, it's very similar along the the vein of like you know death shadow, where like you know you you go turn one fetch shock thought seize. You're already at fifteen life, and you only need to do one more fetch shock, and suddenly you can actually cast your death shadow without it dying to itself. It's only a 1-1, one, one, but, you know, it's not that hard to, you know, play another Thoughtseize or cycle a Street Wraith or even have your opponent randomly bolt you if they're on burn. Like, it's very easy to cast a death shadow very early, and they just kind of, like, that's... Those are, like, their almost... Their main win cons and stuff. And then they tend to protect the these win cons with stuff like, you know, like I said, Thoughtseize, and they play just, like, ridiculously cheap interaction for, like, what the cards actually do. Like, when you're playing stuff like Tasker on turn two, suddenly you get to play cards like Stubborn Denial, which normally is a 
one blue to counter target non-creature spell and control plays one. If you have a creature with power four or greater, it straight up counters that spell no matter what. So you have a one man in negate to protect your turn two tasker if you really want it. Which is just insane. <laughs> like So So what are the key cards in this deck then since you started um uh, I'm guessing a couple of them are being talked about? Yeah, like they're there, the weird thing is there's not any like truly key key cards because you know it's very similar to like the green black decks where like they're just playing a lot of really powerful really cheap really efficient cards but like you know the big stuff that they have is like death shadow is a key card because their entire deck revolves around casting it easily so you can leverage that like they're trying to deal damage to themselves Tasker is a key card because you know they're trying to fill their graveyard and stuff, and you can you can attack them on that axis from the same regard. And then like stuff like Stubborn Denial and Thoughtseize and things like that, like their super cheap early interaction is basically how like they get ahead using those cards, and then they just slam the door in your face with their hyper efficient creatures. This is this always just seems like a an interesting deck when it's talked about like just it's i don't know <laughs> it's the deck is ridiculously difficult to play like play like at the highest level because mm -hmm. there's so much that you have to actually think about when you're doing stuff like you know it's like you know like i said i like playing the obzon version of this deck so you like i'm playing i'm i'm playing tarmogoyfs and i'm playing cards to make tarmogoyf good and i'm playing traversal of the so i'm playing mishra's bobble and, like, the weird little interesting thing of, like, all right, so, you know, I'm Mishra's Bobble and target myself. And, you know, I'm stupid, so I forgot to draw my card off. We're not talking about that right now. So, like, <laughs> we – so you cast Mishra's Bobble and, like, you target yourself. You look at the top of your library, and it's like, okay, do I need this card on top more than I need to be able to cast this turn one Thoughtseize? Mm-hmm. And, like, keeping track of, like, the stuff you see if you Mishra's Bobble is your opponent and stuff like that. And, like, knowing when you need to actually bring your life total down to a certain point And, like, trying to, like, you know, keep that balance between dying and not dying. And, like, the lines... There's so many lines with this deck. There's so many decisions you need to make. Like, I fully understand why a lot of really good Magic players like to play this deck. Because it has a lot of play to it and they can leverage their play skill immensely. Like, a lot of people think that the Death Shadow decks, like, some part of it should be banned because the decks are so, like, omnipresent. But I disagree with that. Like, the reason why they're omnipresent is because, like, it appeals to a competitive person. Because a competitive person wants to be able to use their knowledge of the game and their own skill to their advantage, and this deck allows you to do that more than almost any other. Like, it's super, it's like this really interesting topic amongst people about, you know, like, is Death Shadow too good? Should Death Shadow be banned? Like, I believe LSV is of the opinion that something in the deck should be banned because too many people play it. But at the same time, he himself understands why so many play it. It's not like, yes, the deck is ridiculously powerful, but it's ridiculously powerful in the hands of people who are ridiculously good. Mm-hmm. Which is like, I mean, to, to some degree, similar to how uh, Pod used to be. Yeah, the difference is like Pod just could do everything. Yeah, Pod <laughs> caused issues in actual game design, 
where yeah. every creature they made, they kind of had to like evaluate how good it would be in pod. Mm-hmm. And you know, Sea Rhino got pod banned. So, what do you do? Not Prince Siege Rhino because Siege Rhino was dumb and standard too. Exactly. Exactly. I hate Siege Rhino. Hashtag ban Siege Rhino. A fiery temper. Nah, not fiery tempered. Fiery justice. I fiery justice the Siege Rhino today. That makes me mad. I know. Felt good. Okay. <laughs> Back so, on topic. So how do we beat Death Shadow? Uh you need to learn this matchup. Like, so you can you can play cards that slows it down a lot. Like stuff like um, specifically Rest in Peace out of Graveyard Hate is really good against them because suddenly it turns off their Taskers and their Gurmog Anglers, and they are, like and like so you can play things to slow them down in that regard. But like honestly, learning this matchup is one of the most important things you can possibly do. Like, there was this really interesting thing I saw on Twitter, like, a week and a half ago, where a guy was playing Death Shadow, or a guy was playing against Death Shadow. He was playing, like, a green-white value deck, I believe, and his opponent willingly chose to Thoughtseize an obstinate Bayloth on turn one. There were other targets available, and they chose the obstinate Bayloth. And when this was done, the person who cast the Thoughtseize was at 13 life. So the person who's playing the obstinate Bela suddenly has that choice. Do they attack their opponent who's at 13 life with their 4-4, allowing them to cast a Death Shadow the next turn? <laughs> like, you have a 4-4 in play on turn 2. Why wouldn't you attack? Because you <laughs> don't know if that's exactly what they want you to do. <laughs> and it's super like uh, this, that's another reason why people don't like this deck is because it can lead to some really weird play patterns like you can't play against this deck normally because the deck doesn't work like a normal deck yeah so like but like their life total is a resource in such a manner where like they want to get as low as possible and like th- their goal is to like sit at four life and it's really interesting from that point on, like how you need to go about it. To where, like, if you ask a good burn player, Death Shadow is a good matchup for them. If you ask a good Death Shadow player, Burn is a good matchup for them. Yeah. Both are right. Yeah. Because the skill level of the person you're playing against matters so much. Like, it's very easy for someone to screw up when playing Death Shadow. It's very easy for someone to screw up when playing against Death Shadow. So, like, this is just, a, like, a matchup that, like, as long as this deck is legal, if you're trying to figure out how to, like, beat it, you need to find a friend who plays it and just jam games against them over and over and over. Like, Modern is a format where knowledge of what your deck is doing, what other decks are doing, are highly important. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not as much as, like, Legacy, but it's still pretty high, and you need to learn this deck because it's probably not going away yeah not super soon at least no yeah otherwise uh yeah that's death shadow another deck that i've considered building again but i don't know it's weird play lines you like weird play lines though yeah i've been thinking 
I, I, I'm either I was debating like building the deck I played today, or Obzon Death Shadow, or just regular Obzon, and I wound up playing Kiki Cord, but it was still highly considered. I voted for the fun, please. Yeah, I almost played Lantern also. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, so what's the last deck we got for today? Uh, the last one is another little subsect of, you know, there's a lot of decks that, very, that follow the same basic principle, but this one kind of does something, they all have the same basic game plan of, you know, they're doing what you do in Modern, and you're cheating on mana. <laughs> this is like the poster child for cheating on mana. Yes, this is Tron. Both Eldrazi, Red, Bl or Red Green... Green white, mono blue. Your the entire plan of this deck is to cast things that are ridiculously expensive by only tapping four lands. <laughs> okay. So I feel like for this deck we just need to get right to the key cards. Yes. Uh Urza's Tower, Urza's Mine, and Urza's Power Plant. With an honorable mention for Eldrazi Tron of Eldrazi Temple. The entire purpose of Tron is to get all three of these lands in play, which have very unique abilities where normally they all tap and add one colorless to your mana pool. When you control all three, the mine and the power plants tap for two colorless, and the tower taps for three colorless mana. This only works if you have all three pieces in play. This is referred to as Urzatron because Tron. <laughs> so, yeah, All right. or specifically Voltron, not Tron. Yep. Yeah. You know, the, your goal is to assemble this conglomeration of small things that make a very, very powerful thing. And then they try and take advantage of said mana in such fun and exciting ways. Like seven mana stone rain. Also known as Karn for anyone who is unaware. <laughs> Seven mana stone rain. The number of times that you cast Karn on turn three on the play and just exile your opponent's land is way more than you would think. Yeah, I, probably. And it's very brutal for obvious reasons. I mean, smashing land sucks. Yeah. So, uh... What are what are the other like ramp targets and stuff for it? Like how how does the deck kind of work in total? I guess it kind of depends on like the version you're talking about. Um, for your typical Tron deck, be, meaning not Eldrazi, you know they're trying to cast Car and they're trying to cast Worm Coil Engine. Um, they use stuff like um, All This Dust and um, Oblivion Stone to like wipe the board of like while they're trying to get to the point where they can actually cast and resolve their big stuff, sometimes their opponents flood the board and you need a, you know, for lack of a better term, an oh shit button to reset the playing field, as it were. <laughs> and like, you know, their their big ultimate win con, you know, thing that's to be like their end game is the Ulamog, specifically the 10 mana when you cast it, exile 2 permanents, exile 20 cards from defending player's library whenever you attack one. Because that mm -hmm. card's really good. 
Yeah, it seems alright. Like, yeah, gone are the days of them just trying to hard cast an OG Emmercool. Now they use that instead. Tear. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have uh, Ayabugan anymore. They can't tutor it up, so. Huh. And, like, if they're if they're playing green, they'll commonly play cards like Worldbreaker, which is another just ridiculously efficient card. Um, for the Eldrazi variants, they actually don't necessarily go all the way up to Ugin. Um, they'll usually do stuff like, you know, a turn two or three Thought Not Seer, or a turn three Reality Smasher, and stuff like Endbringer. And they'll try and use just like, you know, the ridiculously powerful and efficient Eldrazi, which, because, you know, the deck isn't already casting things for ridiculous costs, they need to have a reasonable backup plan. So yeah, they'll they'll abuse you know the more powerful Eldrazi that we've seen printed, and that's a base a primarily colorless deck, which also plays stuff like you know Chalice of the Void to try and shore up their poor aggro matchup and things like that. And yeah, their the goal of this deck is basically to cheat on mana using exclusively lands with no ramp spells. Just the lands themselves are ramp. Because reasons. Do they have any tools for finding lands or? Ah uh, yes. If they're playing green, they get access to stuff like um, ancient stirrings, which lets them take a colorless card out of their top five, or they can play sylvan scrying, which specifically searches up any land in their deck and puts it in their hand, or expedition map, which is an artifact that does the exact same thing. Like the entire deck is built around trying to put Tron in play on turn 3. And if they don't turn 3, they can probably turn 4. Like, it's not a guarantee, but it's basically what their entire goal is. Like, mm -hmm. it is more important for them to get Tron on turn 3 than it is for them to actually have something to cast on turn 3. Because eventually they'll draw something. You know. But... Yeah, when you're drawing, you know... Seven, eight mana in the game cards. <laughs> yeah, it's you. It's much more important for them to like get Tron active than it is for them to get a win con down because you can eventually anything you draw you can cast once you have Tron active. If mm -hmm. you don't have Tron, casting a Karn on turn seven is nowhere near as good as casting a, tr a Karn on turn three. Yeah, you know, because that's just how or magic turn four. Is. Yeah. <laughs> So how so how do we beat this deck? Uh the most efficient way is basically land destruction. You know, stuff like Fulminator Mage, Avalanche Rider, you know, if you want to be spicy playing stuff like Molten Rain and stuff like that, like or even just like a you know, Ghost Quarter. They're just all really good efficient ways of disrupting them because they specifically need those pieces of Tron. They specifically need Eldrazi Temple to be able to cast their things ahead of schedule. Eldrazi Tron has a slightly easier way in this regard of like, you know, casting a Thought Not Seer on turn four, it's not great, but it's not bad. Casting mm -hmm. a Reality Smasher on turn five instead of turn three, it's not great, but it's not bad, you know? Like, they can still function as to where the regular Tron decks, if they're doing nothing until, you know, turn 6 or 7, they're probably dead because this is modern. And that's mm -hmm. just how modern works. 
like land destruction is really good against them. Otherwise, um, like stuff like the original, the regular Tron decks, they tend to they do still have a fail rate. You know, like they're using just because like even though every single card in their deck is revolved around getting Tron out on turn three, doesn't mean they can get Tron out on turn three. You know, sometimes like they'll just they will never encounter, you know, they'll never find a Sylvan. Like, they'll, they'll like, mulligan, you know, a little bit or something. And they have, like, Tron Peace and Sylvan Scrying and, like, a Green Land and stuff. And they never find that they're Tron Peace. Like, that is a reality that can happen. So being able to, like, put pressure on them to, you know, limit how much time they have to find it. And you can beat them just because, you know, the deck can fail. Otherwise, yeah, land destruction... Is pretty dang good against them. Cool. Yeah. It's uh. That's. Those are like the the big four, as it were. I would say for like the mid range decks. There's a lot of like other. Like mediocre, like medium ones. But these are the like these are the ones that you. I can almost guarantee you that you will encounter each of these decks if you go to a big tournament. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, as you said, we might cover some of the other ones in another show just to go over some of the fairly common sort of decks that show up. Yeah, they're they're kind of, uh, you know... I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this series. It gives me a chance to just ramble about stuff, so we'll probably... Or even stuff, but yeah. Uh, talking about the the big the big ticket cards, as it were, seems you know important to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you have anything else to throw in here, John? I, so I actually had a I had a random question pop in my head today at work, and it's obviously in regards to you, because of course. Okay. So. I, I've said this before on the podcast. You're basically why I got back into magic. Yep. Did you ever think when you started playing again that like magic would have like effectively taken off in everyone's life in everyone's life as much as it did? It, like, because you have yourself who just you started playing again and you're kind of getting back into it, and suddenly you own thousands of dollars with the dual lands. You have me, who, you know, I dove yep. in head first, and, you know, there's, I'm still swimming out in the ocean, and there's no sign of shore at this point. You know, you even have your brother, who, like, while he's not very competitive, he's very, very Johnny, and, like, he's even, like, he's formed magic clubs at the schools where he teaches and stuff like that. And he's, like, he's trying to, like, get magic out into other people's lives. Like, did you ever think that, you know, getting back into magic would have taken this, you know, this turn like it has when you got back, when you decided to start looking at your old cards again. Man, like, no, uh, we'll be completely honest. Not, not even at all. Like, I, I, I didn't even know, like, F&M and stuff existed, like, when I got into magic like i always thought it was just local play groups like us doing things and so i was just like yeah we'll just grab some you know grab grab our decks and we'll hang out and play and stuff like that and have a good time and you know buy some buy some packs and 
do that crap. I, yeah, I never, I never really expected to have it be what it is, I guess, <laughs> for mm-hmm. me anymore. Um, because it was never, be, I mean, before all the, before all that, it was never a huge thing for me, if that makes sense, I guess. Like, it was like, yeah, this is a sweet game, but, like, you know, it was, it wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't tabletop role-playing gaming, tabletop role-playing games for me. Like, like, that's something that back then, and even now, actually, I should say, like, I love like, so, and and I spent a lot of time, like, back then I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and now I spend a lot of time thinking about it. I mean, the only difference is now I spend a lot of time thinking of that and magic. Um, <laughs> and putting them together in some ways, but, oh man, no, I had absolutely no idea. I was just like, hey, I got my old cards, let's play some magic, I guess. <laughs> Would you go back to that way if you could? Like, if you could turn back this whole, you know, getting me into, like, like getting me into it to the point where, like, I, it became my competitive outlet to where, like, it was just, like, a random, hey, let's play a couple games of Magic down on the pool table thing again. Like, I would really enjoy that, honestly. I don't know if I'd want to go back, necessarily. I don't think I could, necessarily, to some degree. Um, like... I, like, we don't, you know, our, our like, magic play group really doesn't, like, exist much anymore. I would love to get together and just play casual magic with people again. Like, that's still one of my favorite things ever is just playing games of magic like that. Um, and I'd love to figure out how to do that, but, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, there's a lot of things I really like about where where I am right now and where I'm going. But I don't know, there's still a lot I really love about playing really bad decks with a bunch of people. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, I know I've said this to you before, and it's like, I honestly, I, I miss the days where I could just like build a random deck out of random cards that I had because, you know, I thought the concept sound cool. Like, I can't really do that anymore like i can't justify building a random 60 card casual deck i can still do it for edh like edh has basically become my casual outlet at this point but like i can't do it with 60 cards and i i don't know what would have to happen to where i could like i would probably i I don't get that man for me i can still do it (laughs) like 60 or just casual in general anything casual man i can i can do I mean, I, I literally have been building, uh, I mean, obviously it's a different thing, but I've literally been building decks for my, my brother to give away to the um, kids and like that he has with magic groups and stuff like that. And like some of the decks that I built, I'm like, man, I'd really love to play this deck. <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't know what it is where like I just like I couldn't see myself sitting down and building my mono red devour deck again. <sighs> you know, like, but like. Like I said, I can still do stuff like that in Commander, but I mm-hmm. just, I can't do it for 60 card. I don't know what it is about Commander that's different for me. Maybe it's because like the God fact that it's it. Singleton, the fact that it's Singletons makes it a lot easier for me to do like random sweet fun ofs 
Maybe. So like that just like that just has become my casual outlet, as it were. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it could be. I don't know. Like I just like I have a lot of a lot of casual decks built, and I love them so much. Like I I just want to play my skull like my skulker decks super bad, or I'm uh like and that's one that that's one that's super fun to play with people who like are like quite casual mm-hmm. because it's it's really not that hard of a deck to beat and but it but it looks really cool when it goes off <laughs> i will cast lost legacy naming castle sculptor i actually have an alt win con now so haha really yeah i have three psychosis crawlers oh <laughs> fair but, i guess <laughs> um but like yeah, like that deck, and then I'm uh, like my my mono green door deck. I love or my mono green five color door deck. <laughs> like that deck is just super fun to play because it literally has basic forest for all the lands, and I run a main deck death wish and like main deck day of judgments, and <laughs> I think I think I run the main deck. I'm uh. Oh, what's the card called? I can just think of Nemesis Wave. <laughs> you run a main deck Bolas also. Yes, I do run a main deck Nicol Bolas Planeswalker. <laughs> the old school one, but... And have cast it. <laughs> uh, but, like, just the ridiculousness of the decks is something I love. And I and I miss I miss playing that. Like, like don't get me wrong, like... I have different itches I need to scratch, I think, to some degree. Like, I love going to Legacy and playing, you know, Landstill or whatever, and, like, having to think about, you know, getting to cast Brainstorms and having to think about them. But... That reminds me. Actually, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I, this is taking a much more time than a normal send-off. I think you brainstorm wrong. I don't know if I, I probably told you, do. I don't know if I told you this. You, you know, you didn't. I do brainstorm okay. wrong though. Uh, you. I think it's you brainstorm during your opponent's end step way too often without a fetch land in play. Like, yes, I do. Like it's something I noticed you did a lot during Legacy, and like I was gonna bring it up to you after your match against Manny, and then I forgot, and you did it against me, and I was bringing it up after your match against me, and I completely <laughs> forgot about it. But yeah, like I, I do not brainstorm right. Yeah, it is. It is way too often that you like you're like turn two brainstorm, put two cards back, and draw them, and like then yeah. you play a fetch land or something. Mm-hmm. As to where like it's very easy for you to have dead cards in your hand, and I think saving the brainstorm until you have a fetch is more important. Yeah, you're you're probably totally right. Like yeah. that's one of the things I know, and like legacy is literally all about casting brainstorm. So yeah. <laughs> I need to I need to get good at that. Is yeah. For sure, something. Brainstorm better, jeez. I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah. All right. I mean, you got any? Got anything else? No, that was. Do you, do you want to throw me under the bus about anything else? No, just that. Just that. <laughs> it's it's very important that we learn you publicly, uh-huh. where you can feel shame. I need to get, I need to get super learned on the brainstorms. <laughs> All right. So, 
I guess um, uh, if that's it, if you guys want to send us feedback, you can shoot us an email at thelocalmeta at gmail.com. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at thelocalmetapc. And I guess that's it, unless you have any more slut shaming for me, John. No, nope, I'm good. All right, cool. <laughs> then, then we will catch you next time. See ya.